I'm reducing your stress level. I'm here to make your life easier, not more complicated. I think that goes a long way, particularly for entrepreneurs or people who are running a business and they're really busy and they're, they have a high degree of stress in their life. So sometimes they're reluctant to do a, a book because they perceive it's going to be another thing on their plate, even though they might be really motivated to do it. I think if, if we can help people see, no, I'm going to reduce your stress. My job is to make this as easy and as fun for you as possible. I don't feel, I feel like a lot of ghostwriters don't really come at it from that angle, which is why I really try to press into that pretty hard. Cause you can hire a ton of different writers, uh, probably less expensive than me, I'm sure. But again, what I'm bringing is not necessarily just the writing stuff. It's all the other stuff that surrounds the process. Hey friends, welcome. We talk a lot about different grant writing strategies here on the show, and lately we've done a series where we've talked about quite a few different fundraising strategies, and that is to help your nonprofit build capacity and sustainability, and like I talk about in my TEDx talk, to help you build your ROI, your relevance, your optimization, and your interaction. And once you have your ROI framework in place, you can make a return on impact. Another way that we have not talked about is just good old writing skills, and I have the expert today to help us do just that. <laughs> this is an area of writing that we have not talked about before. I'm talking with my good friend Kent Sanders. He is a professional ghostwriter, not to be confused with grant writer, but as I've gotten to know Kent, we have found that there are a lot of parallels between ghostwriting and grant writing. A lot of the skill sets are the same, the thought processes, the planning out, mapping projects, gathering information, getting good research, and then just getting your head deep into the process of writing. So it's been really fun getting to know Kent the last few months. We connected on LinkedIn because I had heard him interviewed on another podcast that I've enjoyed, and that led me to Kent's podcast, which I also really like. He has the Daily Writer podcast, and he has a lot of good wisdom on his show. So today, I'd like to introduce you to Kent Sanders. He helps leaders grow their business through books and other content. He's the author and co-author of many books, including his most recent that he co-authored with Billy Stanley, who is Elvis Presley's stepbrother. Together, they wrote The Faith of Elvis, a, sto a story only a brother can tell. And in addition to writing books for himself and for his clients, Kent loves to help other writers, and you will hear his joy and passion for helping writers. He's a natural teacher and loves to encourage others in their writing journey. He hosts the Daily Writer podcast and is the founder of the Daily Writer Club, which is a mentorship community that helps writers build a business with their skills. So with that, I am excited to introduce you to my friend, Kent Sanders. Kent, welcome to the show, my friend. I am so excited to have you, and I've been an avid listener of your podcast since I recently discovered it a few weeks ago. So welcome, and tell us a random fact about yourself. Thanks, Teresa. I appreciate that, and thanks for listening to my show. And I'm a big fan of what you do as well and, and your podcast. I think podcasting is a great way to connect with people 
And I've always kind of enjoyed it maybe because that's my passive aggressive way to avoid video. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe, you know, TikTok or whatever it is, but whatever I appreciate the reason. that means a lot. Oh, I really enjoyed it. And I love the variety of the really short two or three minutes and then the deeper, longer conversations. So I think it's a great mix. Oh, good. I, I appreciate that. Sometimes I wonder if people don't get emotional whiplash whenever they listen to my show <laughs> because, you know, it's it's a bunch of short episodes and it's like a long hour long interview or something. So, but yeah. I just, I kind of work on the idea that variety is good. I and, like it. Um, I just made a podcast. Um, I was kind of like, what would I like in a podcast? What would I listen to? Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that's what you create because then, then you're going to be more motivated to keep going with it, I guess. So. Yeah, exactly. And just like anything, it's not going to resonate with everybody and that's not what you need. You just need the ones yeah. that that truly hits home. And is what yeah. they need. As far as a random fact about myself, so I guess this isn't really a random fact, but something that most people don't know about me who who kind of know me in my writing slash podcasting slash ghostwriting circle, most people don't realize that I was in, involved in music for a long, long time before I got into more of that side of things. Um, I actually, you know, as a kid, I was heavily involved in band and choir and theater and all that stuff in school and then went to college to actually become a pastor then went into being a music pastor for a while and uh, i play guitar drums a little piano um several instruments and that was my life for a really really long time but that doesn't really connect with what i'm doing now very much but i think people kind of in my world uh now don't really they have no idea that i was in music for a really long time Mm, I love that. And, you know, I feel like so many of us probably have those hidden things that it's not connected to our current work. So we don't think to bring it in or people just don't realize there's a whole different dimension to us. And I'm a big fan of music, too, or a big musical family. And I play the piano also. So it's I always enjoy it when I meet other musicians because it's just like another common thread with people. Wow. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, you just never know all kinds of fun facts. (laughs) We keep uncovering more things we have in common and especially with our writing. And uh, you gave us just a little glimpse of your background. So tell us what you're doing now and what led you to this point of doing it. So there's really a couple of things that I do, both of which revolve around writing. My main gig, I guess I would call my main business is ghostwriting. And for those who aren't familiar with ghostwriting... Basically, that means people come to me and they want to write a book of some kind. Sometimes it's a memoir. Sometimes it's a personal development book. Sometimes it's like an inspirational type of a book, or sometimes it's a straight up business book, whatever it is. They come to me because they don't have the time or the skill to write their own book. And sometimes that means we really work as collaborators on their book. Sometimes it means they give me some ideas. We have a couple calls and then I go off and write a book. It can really work a variety of ways. And I think that's pretty common for ghostwriters is there are a whole bunch of different ways that it can work. But that's kind of my main gig is I basically write books for people who want a book to tell their story or to promote their business or or whatever their goals are. And I take care of that for them. The other thing that I do is I do a lot of stuff around, I guess I would call it a brand. The term brand just feels impersonal to me sometimes. So, but I don't know any other way to say it. So I have a brand, quote unquote, I guess, called The Daily Writer, and that consists of a podcast, which we talked about a bit a minute ago, and that is a daily show. 
I'm not necessarily recommending that people commit to doing a daily show <laughs> if you get into podcasting, although I love doing it and it does t- doesn't actually take that much time. It um, is a labor of love, though. It, it is a labor of love. And I wanted to commit to a daily show because, you know, I kind of figure if you have a show called The Daily Writer, it needs to be a daily show. So I do mm-hmm. that and I also write my own books. And uh, then I run a membership community for writers called The Daily Writer Club. And those those things I really, really enjoy doing because I came from a background of being a pastor and also a college professor. I, I did the college teaching thing for a really long time, like 17 years. And there's a part of me that I just love teaching and I love writing my own stuff. And if I were just writing client books, I think I would be really creatively unhappy. It's one of those things where, okay, you can make a good living doing something, but if you're if there's a part of you that's not creatively fulfilled, then you're going to get really cranky. So <laughs> I didn't really sure. feel like I had a choice um, if I wanted to be a more well-rounded person and also have my own stuff on the side. So a couple of years ago, I started the Daily Writer podcast and all the the, the membership group and all that stuff um, just because I love teaching. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't want to just do client work in my business. I really believe people should consider multiple streams of income, especially if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur. So that's part of the the mix of that as well. But I like doing all those things. They're all connected with writing, creativity, and books. That's kind of what my life is. Mm. That's a great way to combine all of those passions and gifts and things you're good at and use them to serve others, but in very different capacities. Yet yeah. it's really yeah. not a stretch. It's very similar. Just you're using different creative actions and parts of your brain. Yeah. And one thing that, that I think sometimes you find with with the ghostwriters in particular is that there are some ghostwriters who just write client books. They don't write any books of their own. They don't aspire to do that. They don't want to do that on any level. And I think that's totally, if that's what you want to do that, I think that's what you should do. You know, I kind of work on the idea that life is kind of short and you should do the things that you want to do instead of doing what you feel like everybody else wants you to do or what you quote unquote should do. It's like, just do the thing that really excites you and do it in a way that's natural to your personality and to your giftedness and all that. Um, but for myself, yes, I do ghostwriting. That's my main thing. But I love the other stuff because I feel like that makes me a better ghostwriter. So when I talk to clients about their books or whenever we're planning their books or whenever they're thinking about marketing or in some other ancillary things that we can do, then... The fact that I've run that I've been doing podcasting for a long time. So I'd been doing podcasting since 2013, basically. Mm-hmm. The Daily Writer is kind of only the, the latest iteration of the, the podcasting journey for me. That's almost so the 10 fact that years. I write my own books. My goodness. Yeah, I know it's it's crazy. I think that makes me a better ghostwriter because mm-hmm. I do all these other things as part of my business. And the cool thing is that ghostwriting for clients makes me a better writer of my own stuff as well. Because with every book that I write. And Teresa, I'm sure this is the case for you with every grant that you write, you become not just a better writer, but you become a better leader and a better human being because now you have this depth of knowledge in a specific field that you didn't have before. And that helps you with every project that you do. So that's why I'm a big advocate of of writers doing client work, but also doing their own stuff because both of those things makes the other side of that better, in my opinion. Mm, I love that combination. And that's exactly right. I'm a better grant writer because of the variety of clients I've worked with, because of the different types of projects, but also because I've been teaching it and talking about it so much on the podcast for two years now. And 
working with clients and talking to different people. So I also have that strategic perspective to be able to help them with the strategy side of it. So yeah, it's better all around. And then I can also see my writing itself improving just because of putting in the hours. It's the practice. And that's truly what it takes, which it also requires you to practice. You're committed to this project for a client. You got to get it done. So you're going to do the work and be writing, which continues to make you a better and better writer every time. It does. And I think, you know, what, what you do and what I do is creative work. I mean, it, it's under the guise of business, but really it's creative work because I think all business is creative work. Ultimately, all work is creative work, really. Even the guy who's digging ditches or so there's people three or four houses down this morning. They are, I guess the, these, it's like two families, I guess, you know, how it is in a neighborhood whenever one family has like three people come in, everybody else in the neighborhood's like, well, since they're here, I may as well have, yeah. have them do my yard too or whatever. Uh-huh. So there's two or three families down the street who are having these guys come and cut down some trees. That is creative work mm-hmm. uh, on some level because it involves thinking and planning and figuring out problem solving. You know, how are you going to take down this big, huge oak tree in somebody's front yard without it crushing their house? That involves a lot of a lot of creative work and thinking and solving problems. So I just kind of operate on the idea that we're all doing creative work no matter what it is, which is the same thing in, in lots of other fields. Like there are some there's some actors who also want to be directors and screenwriters. Mm-hmm. And there's there's an interesting mix of things there. There's some musicians who want to be producers as well as performers or studio musicians. And I I just like this kind of life of where you have several different things going on. And each one of those things helps you become better in the other areas. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I think people often have this perception that grant writing is dry and boring and you're just filling out paperwork. And I mean, there's a small degree of that, but largely it's incredibly creative and problem solving and You've got these nonprofits solving big world problems, and you're trying to spit it into a narrative that is compelling and meaningful, Mm -hmm. and that helps them get funding to solve the problems. So it really is a lot of problem solving and connecting the dots between the information you're getting and from all the different sources versus what information you need to provide and how you can best present it. So it's a lot of creativity. And then also just thinking through, like you said, We do have different options and not everybody else's path is what we need to take. And like you said, an actor might want to also be a screenwriter and a director, but another actor might hate some of those roles and doesn't want to do them. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means we have the options and we don't necessarily have to compare ourselves to others and feel like we're not quite measuring up. We can figure out our passions and match up with where we need to be. And it seems like all this involves a high degree of self-awareness and Mm self-knowledge. You have to know what you like and what you don't like and what you're good at and what you're not good at. Because if you're doing something that is a skill that you have, but it doesn't make you happy, then you're not really going to to be successful at it long-term, I don't think. I mean, I guess there are people who are successful long-term and they're miserable, but that kind of seems like a, a 
terrible way to live. So, <laughs> Yeah. And to that point, I would say, keep experimenting and keep searching and trying until you do land on those things and keep searching for yeah. who you are and what you're good at. Because I know that's one thing that I do appreciate about getting older is learning myself better and learning what is in my zone of genius and delight so to speak, Mm -hmm. versus which things are just a drudge and which things I'm better off to pass off to someone else who loves to do them and learning that and realizing I don't have to do all the things and that's okay (laughs) is very freeing. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. And the the ability to hire other people to do things or to delegate things is really cool because Mm -hmm. then it doesn't all depend on you. Right. Which is, and that's kind of draining when when it does. Yeah. For me, that was kind of a fear at first. And it really took a mindset shift to realize that, okay, I can actually be better if I find the right people and allow them to help and allow them to shine with their mm-hmm. strengths. And it doesn't have to all rest on me. Totally. I love that. What is one of your biggest, I guess, challenges? and strengths with the ghostwriting process? And I say both in the same question because sometimes they go hand in hand with the exact same thing. Well, that's a really great question. Um, Just on a really practical level, one of the big challenges with ghostwriting projects is keeping things on track. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's the same thing with grant writing because Mm -hmm. you're relying on the other party to fulfill what they're doing. And, you know, this is what I do for my job. So I'm very motivated to do things on time and do them, not rush things, but I just kind of want to get things done and move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't really take like two years to sit down and write a book. I know that's for people who are not in the book world, the idea of writing a book seems like a big, massive project, but really it's like anything else. Once you do this as a job and you get to know the field really well and and you know how something is put together, you can do it fairly quickly. Um, so one of the challenges is that most of the time when I'm doing a book, it's people who have not done a book before. Mm-hmm. So they're really, really new to it. And um, occasionally I will, I'm choosing my words very carefully here. <laughs> um, occasionally I'll have a client who just wants to keep going over and over and over and over the book again. Mm-hmm. And I have to kind of like take it out of their hands and be like, okay, we're done now. I had a project recently that was kind of like that <laughs> where I was like, okay, like it's been to the editor. Uh, like literally we've had the whole book edited. It's ready to go to the publisher and they're still like requesting changes. I'm like, well, maybe we should move this here. And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. we're done. Like we are done. And we can't make point, any more changes at this point. Yeah. Do um, you have to be okay with imperfection and knowing that we're putting we out a really good product and nothing is ever perfect? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, I'm not going to say a dirty little secret. It's a little secret I've not really said publicly before, but so I had a book come out last month. That was a client book. It was called The Faith of Elvis. And I wrote it with Elvis Presley's brother. Mm -hmm. That was for um, a division of HarperCollins called Thomas Nelson Publishing. So, and it's in like all the Barnes and Noble stores. If you go into to a Barnes and Noble now, it's on the end caps next to Dolly Parton's book and mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey and William Shatner and, and all those things. Very so cool. it's gotten a lot of press and everything. The The little secret is that because I was the writer on this project, every single page of that book, there's something that I would change if I could go back and redo mm-hmm. it. There's not a single page in that book where I don't see as a writer some tiny tweak or little improvement in the wording or in 
something I would say slightly different, or maybe I would include a paragraph break in a different place or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Most people won't pick up on any of those things because they're just reading the book for the first time. Mm -hmm. And enjoying the content. And they're enjoying it. And these are tweaks that wouldn't really make any difference. Right. But because I'm kind of a perfectionist, Mm -hmm. I have learned that you have to let go of things at a certain point and just trust the fact that this is art. And art is not about perfection. Mm-hmm. If you want perfection, then go into engineering, mm-hmm. you know, because exactly. that's a field where you can't have a degree of perfection, quote unquote, in things that you're designing and they can be mathematically perfect and all those things. But art and, and writing and creative work is not like that. And you have to be willing to let go of things at a certain point. You know, I have an interesting, perfect example of that. It's just random. And I've never done this before, but my dad does a lot of woodworking. And so oh, he nice. builds like all kinds of furniture oh, shelves. Nice. He builds this mountain dulcimers, Love which dulcimer. is, yeah. I mean, he's built, I don't know how many, one for pretty much everybody in the family and a lot of friends and all kinds of things. But, you know, it's beautiful. You can see. And if you say, oh, wow, that's really pretty. He'll say, oh, there's a lot of mistakes in it. There's things I do differently. And, you know, I wish I had done this or that, or the wood didn't quite work right. I'm like, daddy, come on. (laughs) But, you know, I totally relate to that. Yeah. And we know, but yet at some point we have to be okay with the imperfections because we're giving a gift to the world. And that's how we have to look at it. And the world is full of grace for those flaws and imperfections. It's more about they need the gift more than we need it to be perfect. Mm. You ever seen the movie, The Godfather? Long time ago. Okay. So it's one of my favorite movies, like top three favorite movies. I I rewatch it about every six months. And it's interesting because if you... It's considered one of the greatest movies of all time by a lot of people. It's interesting if you listen to interviews with, um, gosh, I'm I'm blanking on his name. (laughs) Who's the director of Um, it? Yes, very very famous. I'm totally blanking on his name. I can see Um, it in the black and white print. (laughs) Gosh, I feel like a horrible person. I'm totally blanking on that. Anyway, uh, oh, Francis Ford Coppola. That's what it is. Why am I forgetting that? Anyway, if you listen to interviews with him, it's fascinating because. He talks about how hard it was to make that movie and how many mistakes there are in it and things he would do differently. And, you know, he's kept fidgeting with it to some degree over the years, uh, particularly the third movie, which was not even really good to begin with. But that's another story. But it's funny because whenever I watch the movie, I see some of those mistakes, too. You know, like there's one fight scene where one guy is punching another guy on the in like a street fight scene. And like he you can tell the camera is a certain angle and he misses him like, like by two feet. And it's so obvious he didn't actually hit him. But I find those mistakes endearing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if whenever we look at art, even though you might be aware of the flaws and imperfections of it, I find those flaws endearing in other people's work. For some reason in my own work, I still find them really agitating. And I wish that I could learn to embrace those better. I guess Mm -hmm. it's a a journey I'm doing better, but I still have a long way to go. Yeah. And you know, sometimes the hardest person to give grace to is ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's easier to extend grace to others sometimes with their flaws or mistakes than it is ourselves. And maybe that just speaks to our desire for excellence, but also we have to learn to balance that out with being human and needing to just get the work out into the world. Yeah. Um, so a minute ago, you asked me about ghostwriting and I went off on a random tangent. Oh, I liked it though. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> so you asked it about a challenge and then what was the other thing? It was one of the, oh, something I guess, that, 
one of the strengths or things you really enjoy most about it? Yeah. One of the things that I enjoy most is just pulling together a complex project. I'm just kind of wired that way. Probably that's what, that's what made me, um, I hesitate to use the word good at being a worship pastor because I'm, I don't even know how you would assess that or measure it, but, mm-hmm. but I did feel like I was good at that job because it involved a lot of different details that were kind of technical details, you know, music and sound and all the, the equipment, but also the people side of it. And with ghostwriting, I find it's kind of the same process. There's a lot of details you have to pull together. And one of the most fun challenges for me with this Elvis book that I mentioned was the idea that, and I never told anybody this while I was working on it. I never mentioned this to to Billy, the, the client, Elvis's brother, or the publisher or the editor. But one thing that I really felt pressure about is it was pressure, but it was a good pressure because I was excited to figure out how to do this is when you're ghostwriting a book for someone and it's going through a traditional publisher, you basically have these different constituencies that you have to make happy. So there's the client who has a particular story they want to tell and they want something particular out of this book. The editor wants something specific. The publisher wants something. The marketing people want something. The reader wants something. I want something. And those things are all slightly different. So you, because the marketing people are concerned about, okay, do we have a book that's sellable? What are the sales points? How can we make this an easy sell, you know, for, for the bookstores and the buyers? Um, The editor wants something they can be proud of. And that kind of fits their criteria of excellence. Um, I probably want something different about it. Um, Although I, I might have a hard time articulating what that is exactly, but I think that's an interesting challenge and you have to be up for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to, and you have to relish that kind of challenge where everybody wants something a little bit different. We all want a great book, but emotionally we all want something a little bit different out of it. And I think as the writer, you have to embrace the idea that it really comes down to you in large part, because you have to deliver something that makes everybody happy. Now the editor, the marketing people, the client, they all, are part of this process and they all are a big part of its success too. It's not just the writer, but I don't know. I just, I just really, really enjoyed that process and in trying my best to deliver something that would really please everybody, particularly the reader and give everybody something they could really grasp onto and really get excited about. Mm-hmm. That is so parallel to working on a large grant project. I bet it is. <laughs> Everything you just said is like, you could just pick up that, process and drop it right down over a large grant project. And it's the same thing because you're trying to convey the mission and the need and the urgency for this funding. And here's the program and how it's going to be lined out. But you're also trying to consider what's the funder going to be looking for. But what is our mission? We don't want to bend it out of shape just to say what they want to hear. We need to tell the truth and be accurate and convey Mm. this properly but also as compelling as possible. And then you're still trying to make sure the board and the staff and whoever else is involved understands their role and what this is going to look like if we get Mm. the funding and need to implement it and staying, just keeping the whole project on track and all the moving parts. And yeah, so similar, (laughs) everything you're saying. And you want to have something you can be proud of and that ultimately serves the clientele of whatever the mission is. Yeah. So, so in a yeah. sense, it is kind of ghostwriting and not not in the sense of of you're not 
writing something that somebody else is putting their name on in that exact sense. But it is kind of that sense where you're expressing somebody else's voice mm-hmm. and the idea that this is what their organization or mission is about. Mm-hmm. This is These are their concerns. This is what they really want from it. And the person yeah. giving the grant or the organization, they want something different from it as well, probably. Yeah, exactly. And essentially it is ghostwriting because you're writing it on their behalf. The funder that's reading the application doesn't care who wrote it. They just care who is this about and who is this going to serve. And so really it is. You're very much behind the scenes, but it's a powerful force and a powerful influence that Mm. we have. That's really cool. I never really thought about the parallels between these two things. Yeah, I see a lot. I mean, I think we could compare notes all day, even just through our process and some of these complex projects. I don't know about you, but say when I was working on a really large grant project, I used to do some pretty big ones. And there would always be a point, maybe 75 or 80% through the project where I would just be like, ready to throw in the towel. Like I am done. (laughs) This is never going to finish. My head's about to explode. I give up. Like there would be that point. And it was like, I can't give up. I'm accountable for the, to the client, for this work, for the deadline, all the things I have to finish it. So I would push through that. And then I would hit through that, push through the barrier and get to that breaking point where it's like, all the things start to fall into place, like at the end mm-hmm. of solitaire where it's just. <laughs> yeah. And so then it yeah. was like, finally that tipping point of, okay, we're almost there. And this is really good now. Cause there'd always be that point where it's like, I hate grant writing. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then I pushed through and it was like, Oh, that feels so good. I'm so glad we did that. I don't know yeah. about you, but for me, there's always that point. And I've learned now like, okay, I'm going to go through that. It's okay. Just be prepared. Keep going. And it's not so bad. I think that's that's exactly right. I always feel that way in a first draft. Mm-hmm. So I've got yeah, a book yeah. right now. We're uh, exactly three quarters of the way done with the first draft of the book. And, and I'm feeling that way now with it. It doesn't feel really cohesive yet. It feels like a collection of chapters that I've drafted. It doesn't feel like a whole book yet because mm-hmm. I'm not done with the first draft. Right. So I've kind of realized that the whole first draft feels like a mess. Because it's supposed to. That's why they call it a first draft or sometimes a rough draft. So I think if you know emotionally going into something that you're going to not feel real good about it for a while, Mm -hmm. but you just have to embrace that and accept that's part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And knowing that now, I'm like, okay, it's kind of like cleaning out a closet. It gets worse before it gets better because you have to empty the closet and then your room looks like a disaster before you start putting things back together. And so I always am like, I don't want the client to see it at this point because they're going to walk in and say, what have you been doing? (laughs) It's all kind of exploded in a mess. And they're like, can she even write? But I like to wait till it gets closer to the end where it's like, okay, have some faith. It's going to be cleaned up and pretty and we'll make you look really good. But it takes getting to that point. That's a great observation. And I think that that is something that I deal with a lot with clients, particularly those who have not done a book project before, because I can make the first draft as good as it possibly can be, but there's always going to be tons of things they see that they don't like, or they want to change, which is exactly what I would do if if I were in their shoes. In fact, I would be probably worse. (laughs) So like, if you talk to the people who helped me with editing, 
who edit my stuff or do book layout or graphic design for me, I'm really, really picky. I'm probably not a very good client. And I know I irritate them sometimes <laughs> because I'm so particular about things. Mm-hmm. So Same. by contrast, my clients are actually super easygoing, but I do have to remind them whenever we do a first draft, I'm like, this is just a first draft. Don't panic. Everything is changeable. This is just a first pass. So don't, <laughs> don't lose your marbles. <laughs> right. Um, Cause sometimes that happens. Right. Um, and it's it just, it's just part of the process. And I, I think having a good relationship with your client and being easy to work with is really, really a big deal. That's why whenever I'm talking with the, with the prospect, I always emphasize you're not really paying me for the words because there's a lot of people who are great writers out there. What you're really paying me for is the fact that I'm really easy to work with. I'm try, try to be super positive. You know, I deliver stuff early or on time. So you're paying me for, for the emotional things that I'm bringing to the project, but also being on time and all that stuff. So what a great way to frame it because a lot of times you don't know what a person's going to be like until you actually start working with them. And I think we probably under estimate or under convey, so to speak, our value sometimes in that regard. And we forget to define that, Hey, I am going to be passionate about your cause. I'm going to focus in on this and I'm going to help you be as good as you possibly can. And we forget that that has value. Yeah, I think it does. And if we can emphasize the fact we're at least with ghostwriting that that I'm reducing your stress level. I'm here mm-hmm. to make your life easier, not more complicated. That's worth a lot. I think that goes a long way, particularly for entrepreneurs or people who are running a business and they're really busy and they're, they have a high degree of stress in their life. So sometimes they're reluctant to do a, a book because they perceive it's going to be another thing on their plate, even though they might be really motivated to do it. I think if, if we can help people see, no, I'm going to reduce your stress. My job is to make this as easy and as fun for you as possible. I don't feel, I feel like a lot of ghostwriters don't really come at it from that angle, which is why I really try to press into that pretty hard. Cause you can hire a ton of different writers, uh, probably less expensive than me, I'm sure. But again, what I'm bringing is not necessarily just the writing stuff. It's all the other stuff that surrounds the process. Again, everything you just said, we could pick that up and drop it down onto grammar writing. (laughs) The exact same thing because nonprofit leaders are busy. They have a lot on their plates and a lot of things spinning in the air. And it's up to us to help make their jobs easier and make the process as smooth as possible for them instead of complicated. And I think framing it that way and helping them know, hey, I got your back. I'm on your team and we're going to work on this together will go a long way. That makes a lot of sense. And just people knowing that you do have their back mm-hmm. and that you're there to support them and you're their advocate, that yeah. makes a really huge difference. It does. Especially for people who are probably intimidated by large organizations that have a lot of money or government organizations or things like that. Yeah, for sure. And even just the process of grant writing and probably with ghostwriting is intimidating to people. Yeah. They don't know where yeah. to start. They don't know how to move forward, how to approach funders, all the pieces. It's very overwhelming. So just having someone that can say, hey, I know the process. I'll help you through it. Let's do this is worth a lot. Exactly. I love that. You know, you mentioned something about when you're talking with a prospect, do you mind? I know a lot of grant writers listening have even asked me, where do I start? How do I talk to clients? I'm not sure if I have what it takes. Like, 
how do I even reach out? Do you have pointers for writers in that position of just, you know, I try to encourage them, like, just have conversations and provide value and get to know people. It's not about going in with a big hard sell. You're just listening and truly caring about what are your needs and how can I best help you, whether that's me and my services or resources that I can send your way or referrals or whatever. So how do you approach that or what advice do you have? Well, that's a really, really good question, uh, Teresa. So I come from the worlds of, to back up a little bit, I came from the worlds of church ministry and higher education. These are two fields that are about as far away from traditional business as you can get. And, and they're also two fields that typically have a real poverty mindset. And mm-hmm. I'm sure people are listening who who are in those worlds or they're very close to those worlds. And I don't mean that as an insult, but but I think it's just kind of the truth because a lot of pastors are underpaid. They struggle financially. Um, some Some don't, of course. Some pastors are paid really well, but most pastors are, they don't really make a lot of money and they don't go into it for the money. They go into it because they feel a calling to do that line of work. And they're working they, long hours. They're it's working long hours. They're dealing, they're wearing a whole bunch of different hats, yep. which by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why pastors and educators can actually make really great ghostwriters mm-hmm. because the skill set that you have as a pastor is directly transferable to ghostwriting and similar kinds of fields. Mm-hmm. Because what are you doing as a pastor or an educator? You're, you're communicating, you're writing, you're dealing with a, a wide array of people or constituents, if you want to use a business term. Mm-hmm. So you're creating you really good go content on a consistent basis over yeah, and over. You're, you're, as an educator, you're creating curriculum constantly. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about the structure of a material. I mean, educators and pastors are the two best, the two best kinds of people who are perfectly suited to go into ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of as a side note. Yeah. Could so, be for grant writing too. Yeah. And which is a, a highly adjacent field to that. It is. Um, totally. I mean, I came from education. So yeah, I yeah, know my skills totally. were right there. Well, if my ghostwriting business tanks, then I'm probably going to go into to grant writing. So I'll be giving you a call. I bet I can <laughs> hook <laughs> you up. That happens. <laughs> so um, I forget what I was talking about. Oh, sorry. I got you off on a different rabbit trail. No, no that's okay. Um, you said oh, you pastors. were asking about, about selling. So. Oh, yeah. I came from those worlds. And so I was really intimidated by the idea of having to quote unquote, sell people on ghostwriting or book projects or whatever. And I really struggled with that for a long time. And then I just, I just kind of decided to let go of that totally and take a whole different approach. And I sometimes tell people that I'm the world's worst salesperson because I just believe in being honest about things. I don't Mm -hmm. believe in selling people something they don't need. And I have been known on occasion to talk people out of doing a book with me because mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that they really need to do or that's going to help them. Mm-hmm. Now, I only really do that if I think uh, there's, I mean, there's, there's probably more, it's probably more of a complicated thing than that, but there have been a couple of times where I know it would have been a stretch financially for somebody to commit to doing a book. And I know it would have been a hardship for them and, but they really want to do it. And so I kind of talked them out of it. Because I don't believe it's ethically right for me to push somebody into doing a project that I know is gonna is gonna probably be a hardship for them because it's gonna take them a while to recoup their investment and blah blah blah. So anyway, I just believe in being radically honest with people about things. Mm-hmm. So whenever I get on a call with somebody, like I did this just yesterday, in fact, uh, with a prospective ghostwriting client, my goal for that initial conversation is not to sell or to talk about myself. 
It's just to listen. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where if you come from a background of being like a therapist or a counselor or a pastor, you're used to listening a lot and doing kind of counseling or advising with people. And that's a skill that it's really, really useful in ghostwriting. I think half of ghostwriting success has nothing to do with writing or any of that stuff. It really has to do with listening and being empathetic and being aware of the emotions that somebody's bringing to the table and what their story is. So on that first call, I just ask a lot of questions and I try to to ask questions that help me to understand somebody's goals for their life or for their business or whatever the book project is designed to help them achieve in their life. Because I think a book should help should help you get more of what you want in your life or your business. It's not just a random thing we want to put out there. A book is about getting you something, whether that's more business or telling your story or leaving a legacy or whatever. A book is just a vehicle to get something else. It's There's nothing magical about a book on its own. It's designed to have some sort of an impact or bring a result to, of some kind, whatever that is. So I just try to listen a lot and I ask questions and, you know, we always get to you know, what are your fees? And, and that varies depending on the project, of course. Um, how does the process work? They always ask about that, of course. And and we can talk about that, but I just try to listen and ask questions and be really curious. Mm-hmm. And if I can get them talking about their vision and what's going on in their life and what they're excited about and the ideas they have for a book, that that to me is really, really helpful. So I just kind of, I try to just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. You know, and that seems to be a, uh, something that works with my personality pretty well. I think that's great advice. And my process is very similar. Just Hmm. asking strategic, digging deeper questions and listening and seeing what are their pain points and what are the best solutions for this kind of situation, trying to diagnose a good path forward that's going to be what they need. And I agree with you. One of my core values is to shoot straight. And sometimes that may mean the hard truth of, you know, this is not the right type of project for you right Right. now, even though, like you said, it might be a paycheck, but also like if it's not the right timing or what's best for your organization, I wouldn't be in integrity if I pushed forward just to get a contract. So I agree very much with that. And, you know, this is an interesting observation I've had, and I haven't quite figured out the root of it, but a lot of grant writers I run into are natural introverts. And I'm not sure if it's they're just drawn to a fellow introvert on the podcast, or if it's truly like the nature of grant writing is very much designed for introverts. And I think probably a combination. Probably so, to to some degree. But for me, that takes so much pressure off of knowing that I can just sit down with someone and listen and have the conversation. I'm not having to go in and perfect a sales pitch. And what am I going to say? I'm going in to learn about someone interesting in their work and what their goals are. And I'm just here to listen and connect the dots and help them figure out some problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting observation I never really thought about connecting introverts to the grant writing process, but it does seem that does seem to really fit though. Same thing with ghostwriting or, and there's other kinds of work that would maybe podcast editors. I don't know. I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of thinking of, of roles that are kind of technical. There's a lot of details involved, Mm -hmm. which means you have to be really patient and you have to enjoy time alone. Right. More research all those things (laughs) and writing. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoyed like when our kids were small and I could do a lot of grant writing from home with the kids there, 
and just do my little thing from my laptop at home with the kids running around, but yet have an impact on an entire community from behind the scenes. And that was one of the most fulfilling things about it. See, that's a really good point. So I had a friend yesterday. He's actually a fellow ghostwriter. He sent me some stuff about some articles that he'd been reading on on uh, alpha versus beta males. I had mm-hmm. never, I had actually never heard the term beta male before. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a thing out there in the world of psychology or business or something. And he was kind of talking about how people, you know, people think that being an alpha male, like a hard driving, very extroverted, out front kind of a person, is really what everybody wants. But then, but then we were talking a lot and and thinking about the value of not necessarily having to feel the pressure to be that person. I think there's a lot of value to being a person who enjoys being behind the scenes mm-hmm. and who can run the details of something For and sure. who can bring all the different things together and uh, think through all the logistics of things because nothing happens without those people. Right. And um, I think there's a lot of value to being kind of a quiet strategist right. in the background. Who's You're kind of doing your thing. You're not out front necessarily, but but they're really the ones who are making all the things happen behind the scenes. Deeply thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. A common trait. Yeah. It's not really, you know, and if you kind of, if you take this in a negative sense, it's, you know, it's not really the loud, boisterous people you always have to worry about. It's like the real quiet person in the corner. They're the one that has like the evil plan they're concocting and they, they have this long detailed strategy and, you know, there's kind of something to that. You have to, you have to watch out for the quiet people because they're, they're the ones who are really, the ones who are making things happen yeah, a lot of times that's and so true. taking care of all the details. Yeah. And the ones, like you said, plotting 10 steps ahead that you may have not yeah. even noticed, but oh, wow, here we go. Well, so, that was yeah. my my thinking behind my podcast for sure is I didn't start my podcast wanting immediate results. I started my podcast with a 10-year strategy in mind, mm-hmm. meaning that not that I was going to do this exact show for 10 years necessarily, but... I thought, okay, I'm going to kind of commit to putting in the work for three years, knowing that by the time the third year rolls rolls around, if you're doing something on a consistent basis, you're going to start to really see results in year three, most of the time. And I mean, that applies to books, podcasting, anything that you're doing. And then by year 10, if you've kind of played your cards right, you're going to have crazy wild success, hopefully, if you've really stuck with it and, and done the things that you need to do. So... I think thinking in terms of like a three year or a five or a 10 year plan can be really, really valuable. Mm-hmm. But people who, a lot of times people who are not strategic and, and aren't drawn to that type of thinking, that's a really hard pill to swallow because that means you have to be patient and you've got to show up and do the work for a long time without any results. But just trusting that the results will come if you stick with it over the long term. What a good reminder and exactly true with the grant strategy process. Mm. Nonprofits need to take that longer view because grants are not overnight funding. It's a long process. And the longer you're willing to look at that as a long-term strategy and a marathon, as opposed to a microwave hot pocket, you're going to be so much more successful with that and taking that approach. I love that. I love that. I feel like we could have so many <laughs> different parallels for this. Like we could just go on all day long about this, but I probably shouldn't keep you all day. But I would love to know, is there a resource in particular that's been meaningful to you 
throughout the G throughout the years in your journey? Oh my goodness. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, yes. Uh, I, I'm kind of mentally taking through a few things that, that have been really, really helpful to me. There've been a lot of things that have been enormously helpful to me, but a couple of, of books come to mind in particular. One book is, um, is tribes by Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. That book has made a big impact on me. I've read it several times. And I think that came out in 2008. So it's an older book at this point, but it's a little short book. And he talks about the value of bringing people together and how you can create your own tribe. And that made a big impact on me because I thought, okay, I'm an introvert. I'm not really a guy who's out there, you know, dancing on TikTok and that kind of stuff. Uh, Nobody needs to see that unless it's a horror movie. But I can do something that can build a tribe of people. And and really that was the thinking behind the whole daily writer club of doing a group and a podcast of, of trying to build something that had legs and that I knew could help people. So that was really encouraging to me. Another book that's kind of in the same vein in a sense is a book called anything you want by Derek Sivers. And he's the guy who founded CD baby years and years ago was very successful with that. He's written several books since then, but this was kind of his landmark book. And I think it might've been his first book. It's called anything you want. And I think the subtitle is 40 Lessons for a New Kind of Entrepreneur or something to that effect. It's a little bitty short book, and I love short books, by the way. And it's great because he just talks about the idea that you can create whatever the heck you want. You have the freedom to do that. And he talks about ways that he did that in his career and the value of kind of thinking differently than everybody else and not doing all the same things everybody else is doing. And I really resonated with that with that idea. So those are two books that immediately come to mind um, that I'm going to th- I'll throw a third one out there too. And that is Ryan holiday's material. So he's the guy behind the daily stoic, which is a hugely successful. I mean, I guess it's a podcast. It's tons of different books on stoicism, the ancient philosophy of stoicism. It's all kinds of different stuff, but I really love what he has built in terms of a business because he's taken a central idea and he spun off a really successful podcast and lots of books and lots of cool products. In fact, I've got one of his products right here, uh, one of his daily stoic medallions. Um, mm. It's got Marcus Aurelius on the front, you know, ancient Roman emperor who was a really important figure in stoicism. Waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be, be one. That's inscribed on the mm. back. And I, I just love it because I know he's selling me a $30 coin or whatever it costs. I know what he's doing with the marketing behind it. He's a marketing genius, but I still, I love his products because they're really thoughtful and they're really good. And so Mm. I just, I like how he's built his business. And that actually was the model for what I'm trying to do with the daily writer. Mm. Literally the way that this idea came to me as I was reading his daily stoic book one day, this is about three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And I thought, man, I really like this book. It's a daily a daily thing for a year, you know, little short meditations for a whole year. Why isn't there something like like this for writers? And it dawned on me, well, if there's not, I guess that means that I'm going to have to create it. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, I think this is my new project. Mm-hmm. Point <laughs> I totally ripped ear. off the name. <laughs> that's right. The daily writer concept came from, from the mm-hmm. daily stoic. Sure. So that's why I, why I model my podcast that way. Or that's why I structure it that way. That's, I'm working on a book called The Daily Writer that comes out in June. Same structure. Um, 
that's where really where it all came from. So I think there there's something to be said for choosing somebody as a model who is who has who has already built the thing that you want to build. Mm-hmm. And not having to create everything from scratch, you just see what they're doing and say what you like, and then borrow those ideas and apply it to whatever you're doing. I think yeah. all of us have done that and probably need to do more of that. Sure. And being able to tweak that and make it our own unique spin on things. We don't yeah. necessarily have to start from scratch. We can totally pick and choose from other sources and then make Absolutely. it into something completely new. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So good. Well, I know you and I could talk all day because we've had some pretty long conversations before, which I always enjoy. But thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and encouragement and just creative process with us. It's always fun to go behind the scenes, especially something so parallel, because I feel like our processes, our work, our reason for wanting to get work out in the world is so similar and it's inspiring. And thank you for sharing it. Tell people, tell us where we can connect to learn more. And if people want to reach out, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. My main website is dailywriterlife.com. That's all the stuff related to the Daily Writer. That's dailywriterlife.com. If anybody's interested in checking out the Daily Writer Club, that's a membership group for writers. Uh, There's a link to that on the site as well. Or they can just go to dailywriterclub.com. My main website is kentsanders.net. That's where you can go to find more info about ghostwriting and other services and um, blog posts and all those kinds of cool things. Okay. Very good. I will link to everything in the show notes, of course, and hopefully people will check it out. So thank you so much, my friend. This has been fantastic and we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to having you on my show as well. I can't wait. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Teresa. How did you like Kent's writing tips and advice today? If you have done any grant writing and in your nonprofit work, could you see a lot of parallels here between the work we do? I thought it was just fascinating. There are so many similarities that we kind of geek out on each other's stuff, which is funny. And it's fun to have something in common, but yet so different. There's so much we can learn from each other. And this is true of really anything, right? If we look at it with the right perspective and how much we can learn and collaborate and help each other and really support each other in our journeys. Because as you know, writing is not easy. It takes a lot of commitment and dedication to the craft, to improving and iron sharpens iron. We help each other grow. We help each other improve. And that feedback and encouragement and accountability makes all the difference. So I would love to hear from you. I always love hearing your feedback, your input, your questions on the episodes. Tell me what you liked. Tell me how you're going to take action this week. Don't just let this go in and out, but I want you taking action. So pick out something from today's conversation that you will go and do this week. Commit to it and do it and send me a message to let me know. You can connect on LinkedIn or send me a note on my website and go watch my TEDx talk, teresahub.com slash TEDx22, or you can find me on YouTube and share that so that we can help nonprofits build their ROI and make a bigger impact with their missions. If you are on the fence about whether you have what it takes to be a grant writer, go take my free quiz at teresahub.com slash quiz, and I'd be happy to answer questions that you have. All right, friends, go take action. Go make a difference around you this week and go change your world.